I spent the last three years learning from some of the most ingenious mergers and acquisition specialists around. And now I've decided to take the leap into buying businesses. The real questions are how will I do it? How much of the behind the scenes can we really show? And how can business owners like you maximize their purchase price and build generational wealth? This show is going to give you the answers. Join me and follow along as I share mine and other stories as we buy, sell, or merge healthcare businesses and physical therapy practices. I'm Dave Kittle, and this is The Dave Kittle Show. Hey, this is Dave Kittle. Welcome back to The Dave Kittle Show. I am a physical therapist and owner of Concierge Pain Relief Home Physical Therapy here in New York City. And the CEO of the Fieldmaker Group. We are currently acquiring physical therapy practices in the New York City and New Jersey area. I had an awesome referral recently from one of our colleagues, Will Butler, and he introduced me to a really interesting guy named Chris Vandeford. We have Chris Vandeford on the show today, and he is the owner of Transition One. You can find them on the internet, on the web at transitionone.net.net. And they have a team of brokers. They cover the Midwest and the Southwest. We're going to get into a lot more of Chris's background and what they do, uh, but they do some really unique stuff. For example, they'll sign typically with owners a, uh, a six-month agreement, and they typically can get it done fairly quickly, which is probably faster than uh, the industry standard. Uh, we're going to get more into what they do and, and who they help. Before we do that, a couple of topics we're going to cover today. We're going to talk about cash flow, EBITDA, dental practices versus physical therapy practices. What are the EBITDA multiple ranges? And if you're an owner out there, and if that sounds like a foreign language to you, it's basically a way to value your practice and, and get an idea of like what's the value of your practice and what kind of range you could expect in terms of a purchase price. If you're considering selling some or all of your practice, if you're looking to retire, transition, if you're looking to start the next chapter of your life, whatever that might look like. So that's it for me. Chris, first of all, good morning. Welcome on the show. And uh, thanks for your time. Dave, good to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Absolutely. So recently, I looked up a previous episode that you did on the, I think it was called the Monthly Dirt Cast. It was really interesting to hear you go through a lot of kind of like what we're going to talk about today. So let's just catch the audience up, the uh, owners that are listening now. Give us a little bit of your background that you basically specialize in helping dental practices prepare their business for sale and, and then exit and, and sell. You've also helped other owners sell their physical therapy practices, chiropractic practices, Tell us a little bit of yourself, how you got into this, and uh, who you're currently helping. Absolutely. I've been doing this for about 21 years, set up shop in the Midwest. We never expected to live in a cornfield in Ohio, Dave. It's not what I had ever planned to do. I was working for the big corporate world, 80 to 100 hours a week in a manufacturing environment. You know, you work 100 hours a week and you're told you love it. And uh I knew that I had a relative who was a dental broker, and he seemed to live a higher quality of life than I did. Spent more time at home, more time with kids. And I said, I'm really intrigued by that. I'd like to know more. And eventually, I loaded up a U-Haul, moved to Ohio to learn the business. What turned out to be a very risky bet was the best decision I've ever made. So now I love what I do. I work with dentists, veterinarians chiropractic, professionals, physical therapists, you name it in the medical field, that's where we specialize. And I have a very strong team of brokers and we work out of the Midwest and Southwest, but I love what I do. It takes a lot of experience. You have to see the best and the worst. You have to know what success looks like, what failure looks like. And at this level, uh, we have a lot of success because we know what those those results, what that path should look like. So I'm excited to be here and I'll fill in the details as we go along with stories and a little bit of humor, but it's going to be a good hour, I promise. Excellent. So a couple burning questions that we like to ask a lot of our guests here, especially if they're an M&A advisor, a professional, if they're a broker, wealth advisors we've interviewed as well. So a couple of things that owners that are listening that they're is always at the top of their mind. So one is, do I need a broker or not? Two, what's the value of my practice, which is it kind of is like, basically, how much can I get for my practice? Those are like the top two questions. And then after that, it might be, you know, what does the process look like? And how does that go? So obviously, so you're a broker, so you'll be biased. And so far from what we're hearing, even from my board and my team, 
It's like, I've asked them. So I've interviewed some of my board members and I say, hey, do practice owners need a broker or not? And some of the feedback so far has been, well, it's probably going to be your biggest transaction of your life. And you probably, if you haven't done it before, then yes, you need a broker. So do you ever have owners reaching out to you where they're on the fence and they're like, hey, can I hear more about what you guys offer, Chris? And and I'm not sure if I need you guys, or is it more like you only have owners contacting you and they're like, they need the help, they need the assistance, and they, they really truly feel like they need the broker? I think if a broker is very experienced and they've been around, they've seen hundreds of deals, I think they can add way more value to the transaction and probably prevent the seller and his trusted advisors from killing the deal. And what do I mean by that? If you have a seller, typically they have a CPA, an attorney who are brother-in-law, friends, and everybody's out to protect the seller. And that makes sense. But what that does is it creates a very one-sided focus and we lose balance. There's no win-win. It's just, what is my client going to get? And we're going to get maximum value in this very little compromise. You know, the job of the broker is making sure that both parties achieve the win-win. And that is possible, Dave. A lot of times when I sit down with a client, I will walk into a client. I have a very unique approach. I bring no paperwork, nothing. I walk in, I just sit down, doctor. You say you want to sell your practice. Let me find out a little bit about you and determine if that's the right approach. And I just listen for about 45 minutes and half the time I say, I think we're on the right track. And the other half I say, well, doctor, I think we need to look at your options here. Here's a good example. I was just in an office, an orthopedic office last week. Doctor's 45 years old. He's already hit his number for retirement. Calls me in. He has an advisor sitting next to him. And they say, well, we believe that it's time to retire. We've hit our number in the bank. And I looked at the advisor and I looked at the doctor and I said, doc, what are you going to do after you retire? That I don't know. And I said, I believe you're making a mistake. I believe that you have so much runway left, but your passion is gone. It's Groundhog Day. You're just coming in doing the same thing. Why don't we find a buyer that allows you to help grow and become a part of something bigger? By the end of the discussion, he looked at me and goes, this is the biggest curveball I could have ever expected. I thought you were going to come in and say, yes, we'll sell your office. You pay your bills by selling my practice. Here's what your commission is. And you say, this is not the right move. Let's look at something bigger. Let's have you join something that's larger than yourself. And I got a call from him three days ago. And he goes, I'm all in. He goes, that's exactly what I needed to hear. Thank you for not telling me what I want to hear, but what I needed to hear. That's the power of a broker if they're really good. They're not yes men. They sit down and say, well, that's an interesting philosophy, Doc, but why don't we look at the other tools on the shelf and see what we can do with your office and with your with the remaining years you have left to practice? So hopefully that makes sense. A broker can bring a different perspective than perhaps the one they have. Do you think that you mentioned that as a suggestion for him to potentially join something larger and maybe, I don't know how many details, like, is he rolling equity? Is he rolling equity into that bigger entity? Is he retaining, you know, some percentage, but is is that something that you suggested just based off of his, his age? And like you said, he had more runway and maybe it's not for everyone. What was some of the reasoning behind that? Well, first of all, he loves what he does, but he's bored. So somehow, you know, financially he has many millions in the bank. So he's hit the number. And he's bored. So his advisor said, let's sell. Well, that's the worst advice we could give him. He loves what he does. So we need to find an avenue or a partner or a group or some other entity that allows him to continue to grow and build and become something bigger. And so I don't have the right buyer yet. This just started. But there I know solo, regional, national players who would love to sit down with him and say, let's build something together, something that together we can grow bigger than we could on our own. 
maybe we can develop systems and create satellites or create a empire in Ohio and you're the foundation of it. So I want him to go through that process and then the very path of, you know, the very going down that path is going to determine if this is the right fit. He'll know very quickly whether these options are correct options, but Walking in, his advisor said he wants to retire, and I just smiled. I just said, well, let's talk about that a little bit. You're 45 years old. What are you going to do with the rest of your life, Doc? I don't know. Do you have any any business plans outside of work? Not really. Well, Doc, I think we need to discuss some options here. So your question is, the path of a broker is to make sure that when he listens to the seller, he understands what the seller wants to do, then recognizes the ingredients of the business if they can support that, but also gives the seller a perspective that he and his advisors did not consider. I have a great example. I have a a doctor I'm working with right now, and he owns 60% of a practice, the $3 million operation, and his partner owns 40%. So Dave, imagine this. He's 60% owner, his partner 40%, and his partner wants to retire. So they've been parading people through their office to buy the 40% unsuccessfully. Who in the world wants to buy 40% of a business knowing that they're sitting 10 feet away from a guy who's going to eat their lunch? You know, it's almost as if two separate entities working in the same office. And I sat down with the 60% owner and I said, this won't work. The only way your partner can successfully retire and you can successfully retire is if both of you sell at the same time. And that's going to be tricky or difficult, right? Or no? No, because now it's one sale of both doctors versus a 40% sale that they couldn't do for two years. And once I sat down with him, he goes, I recognize the wisdom of what you're saying. I'm willing to do that. So I made one phone call, introduced one buyer, sat down, said, doctor, what do you want? He said, I want to work another three years. This is the number that I think is fair value. The buyer said, I'll tell you what, I'll give you what your terms are, but here are my terms. I would like for you to work four years. They got up shook hands right in the middle of that room, done. But yet they had spent two years unsuccessfully trying to sell this partner's 40%, and they didn't have a broker walk in and say, Doc, this is a path to failure. The only way both of you redeem and both of you capitalize on your equity and moving forward is selling 100% instead of 40%, and you get to continue to do what you want to do for three or four years. We're closing next week. And they have been working on it for two years. That's what a broker should be doing, teaching them a better way. It's helping. It's bringing an experienced third party or a different set of eyes coming in where, I mean, you specialize in you know, you're basically, I don't know if you consider yourself like a problem solver, but you're coming in as like a specialist, as a third party, but this is what you do. Like you come up with a lot of different creative ways and and every client's different, right? They're all different situations. Every owner is different. So depending on their age, where they're at, what they're looking for. And in that case, a very kind of delicate situation where the 60-40 split with the two different owners. So you're able to come in with a lot of experience and nuance because you You've dealt with so many different owners with all different situations. And some of them are solo owners. And some, you probably have stories where there's many owners where there's a lot more uh, chefs in the kitchen. So really quick. So in the pre-interview, we we're talking about that you only get paid when the client, the owner sells and the owner gets paid. So why do you guys do that? Because I've heard of other brokerages where there's like the owner the physical therapy practice owner, the dentist, et cetera, they have to pay for a, a marketing fee, a listing fee. Then the anonymous deal gets put on their website, which may or may not get any views at all. So it's, it's quote unquote on market, but it's like, who knows who's seeing it? And it just, it's being listed. Why do you guys not have any extra fees outside of just a flat commission? And, and obviously, if anyone's listening, 
you'll have to contact Chris directly at uh, at transition1.net to you know learn more about what's the percentage, the commission and, and the terms to all that. But how come you guys don't get any other fees or take any other fees up front? We have a very successful business, Dave. Very, very successful. We generate a lot of revenue. We close three or four offices, five, six a month. And part of that is sitting down with the seller and basically saying, listen, I know you believe you're here interviewing me, but I am also interviewing you. If we are on the same page and we have the same expectation and we're sharing the same message going to the market, this is a practice, this is a business that we can do and we can do well. But we have to determine if we're both on the same page. I don't make a living by fancy appraisals and charging five or 10 grand for appraisals. It's just a fancy computer generated report. I don't make a living from that. I don't make a living from marketing fees. I make a living by focusing on the practice transition and getting that done and doing it well. That's how I make a living. So when I sit down with a doctor, I said, I'm going to give you value added that you're not going to get anywhere else. But we're also going to be two committed parties, me committed to you, you committed to me. I'm going to know who your attorney is. I'm going to know your CPA is. We're going to be a very strong, cohesive team. And if any one of those variables are off, then I'm out. And I will tell them up front. You know, this is going to be a win for you, but it's going to be a win for a buyer. And if we have anyone who tries to destroy that fairness, I'm going to be the first one to call. So I'm very upfront. Now, again, most of these clients become close friends. I travel with them, communicate. Just it's it's an amazing business when you do this correctly. But I always tell people, guys, if I was just here for the appraisal fee, then I would get that fee and maybe hope over the next year or two, your practice sells. I'll pray 10 people through it, hope one sticks. But in the end, everyone loses and we all, we all fail. So I don't focus on the five or 10,000 fees. I focus on getting the job done. My commission just depends on the amount of time that it takes to get the deal done. But it's usually when I stand up after 45 minutes, the seller will tell me nine times out of 10, Chris, this is a message that I've never heard before. You're the first person who has come in here and told me in 45 minutes, you actually told me no. Everybody else is a yes, man. You told me no. You didn't ask for anything up front and you shook my hand and said, you can deliver in six months. I've never heard that before. That's why we're successful. We're very different from the average broker, Dave. Interesting. All right. So now let's go into the multiples. So our physical therapy practices, because that's most of who we're looking for and who we're speaking with and, and the audience, and then you're mostly working with dental practices, but also others in healthcare. Are a lot of these practices exiting or selling that you guys are seeing uh, selling for the same range of EBITDA multiple, like the three to five range, the three to seven range. It depends on, you know, it depends on annual net earnings and, and EBITDA. Obviously, it depends on scale. But is that, you know, is that basically what you're seeing or is it, you know, lower? Is it higher? I see a three to six, typically a four to six. But again, I have to preface that if you're under a million dollars in revenue, it typically is based on cash flow percentage of collections. If you're over a million dollars in revenue, then that EBITDA formula comes into play. And, you know, obviously last 10 years, practices are better managed, they're better technology, there's more efficient systems. So we're seeing larger operations and scale than we did five or 10 years ago. So the cash flows are stronger and therefore this EBITDA, which everyone is hearing now, is becoming kind of the, the common denominator for valuation. And so, uh, but a lot of that EBITDA, Dave, depends on what the seller is willing to do beyond the sale. If I have a seller who says, listen, when I drive up in my parking lot and look at that front door, I get a sour taste in my mouth and I just can't wait to get out of here. That affects value because now there's a tremendous risk on patient attrition, on staff who are loyal to this doctor staying around. 
And so it affects their value dramatically. If you have a doc who says, listen, I love what I do. I still have energy. I know I'm getting out on top, but I can assist for two, three, four years. Then that even a multiple, we can max that out because the patients aren't going anywhere. The staff is going to stay. And so you have consistent revenue generation over those three or four years. And that's when we're able to get those maximum values. So a lot of this, you know, people say, well, how do you value a practice? Well, what is the doctor willing to do? I know it's cash flow. I know we can look at tax returns and profit and loss statements and come up with a number. But what is that number worth if the doctor walks out the door? It's not worth anything. You know, if I took a practice, Dave, and I said, okay, the doctor left. What's the value of this office? I can take some equipment, put it on the curb, get a nickel for every dollar that was invested. There's no value. it's, It's not worth much if it's the only doctor. Exactly. So really, that maximum value, the smart doctor, physical therapist, chiropractor, veterinarian recognizes that max value comes with a transition plan that supports the buyer for two, three, four, five years. That's when the max value comes. And also, so buyers like us, like we want the this potential deal to be de-risked and one way to de-risk it or one lever of de-risking would be having an owner stay on and helping with the transition. Now that that transitional period depends on the owner. It could be three to six months. And that's kind of like at the short end of like what we're yes. looking for. Yes. You know, you're you're I, talking about sometimes it might be one, two, three years. I always say, rate. you know, a doctor goes, what's it worth? And I always say, well, before we discuss that, what are you willing to do post-sale? Because that swings the value 20 or 30%. So doc, 20, or, let's 20 or 30% of the purchase price? Yes. Yes. If you think about that, I mean, if I have a doctor who says, I'm handing you the keys when we sign the contract and I'm gone, I'm not willing to assist. Good luck with the staff. You automatically know there are major fires to put out. You're going to have a revolving door of staff. You're going to have an exodus of patients. So coming up with a value and having the seller fall on the sword for that value is the wrong approach until we solidify what the seller is willing to do post-sale. Then I can go to market and then I have a narrative that can give him that max value based on an EBITDA calculation. But that's where I think a, a lot of people start incorrectly. They look at tax returns and go, okay, based on this tax return, we have a value. That's the wrong approach. Doctor, what are you willing to do first to support the value that we create because it, they go hand in hand. And if I have that support from the doctor, here's a great example. I got a doctor right now in Cincinnati, got a million dollar practice and he is not staying. And his assistant is his girlfriend. And uh, the two ladies up front are 65 and 70 years old, which obviously is helpful to the practice, but they have a short life left. And I say, doctor, I tell you what, under normal circumstances, I get you 900,000 or a million dollars. But because you're not staying, because your girlfriend probably won't stay, because the two front desks will probably leave, you've cut three or $400,000 just off that purchase price right there. I want you to know that up front. Because when the buyer comes in, they're going to make you an offer that reflects that risk. He goes, I knew you were going to tell me that before we even met. And I was ready. But, but many, but, but many owners don't know that. That's right. That's right. This guy was smart enough to know it was coming, but most owners don't. And that's that first 30 minute conversation would determine if I proceeded to the next meet, the next meeting with him or not. So even a, is based on if you took the pie chart as a whole, cut out the overhead and cut out the doctor pay, what's left, you know, I'll see two and three million dollar practices generate a very large EBITDA and they'll get a multiple of three to seven there, Dave. But again, there's a lot of variables there with that. I'm sure you see the same on your end. Sure, absolutely. 
So when you're describing, so you help owners in that first interaction kind of describe how, you know, value of their practice, you kind of describe, you know, net earnings, what cash flow, you, you kind of, uh, you know, ease them into EBITDA. And it's yeah. kind of like they're, they're, they're getting to learn, you know, just new lingo and, and new, you uh, new, new language to their type of practice, their business. You know, I come highly recommended. Most of the sellers I sit down with, I've worked with their colleague. So I have credibility there. And I'm the Tony Robbins of, of the business. When I come in, high energy, motivating. Listen, I'm here to have the best experience we can. But the best experience relies on the clearest, most upfront expectations. I had a seller in Kentucky who called me last year. And he said, Chris, I had a CPA value my practice at a million five. Would you just give me a second opinion? Well, sure, Doc. Dr. Tim. I called him back and I said, um, Doc, I have good news and bad news. Good news is we can certainly work with your office. The bad news is you're closer to a million dollars in value. He goes, Chris, that's a $500,000 swing. I said, Doctor, if you're bent on that $1.5 million appraisal from the CPA, I'm not your guy. You are an hour south of a major city in a town population less than 3,000. Half of your practice is Medicaid, which means there's revenue there that most buyers are not going to give you credit or value for. And your CPA just gave you value based on tax returns and didn't look at all the other intangibles that goes into how to attract a strong buyer. I said, I'm not your guy. I wish you the best. I'm out. Guess who called me three months later? Dr. Tim. He goes, Chris, you're the only person in the last 90 days that told me no. I want to know why. And I went through the same narrative again. He goes, I believe you. You're the only one who told me no. And we sold his practice in 60 days for a million dollars. So, so what, what, are, what were some of the differences there where the CPA is just looking at the numbers and says 1.5 and you say closer to a million? That was based off of some of the other, like it was based off the net profits. What, what else was it based off of? You said it was $500,000 less. So it was based off of maybe not enough support staff, not enough clinical staff. What were some of the other you know, factors there? Well, there was a lot of Medicaid in the practice. So I took that value off the top because most buyers coming in don't want to assume Medicaid because in the dental business, they call it, it's like doing free dentistry. You've got to produce a million to collect 400. So doc, I can't give you appraisal value for that Medicaid because most buyers coming in are not going to give you value for that. They're only going to give you value for insurance, fee for service. That component, we can't really give you value for. Second of all, you're an hour south. I mean, you're, you're driving through God's country to get to your practice. <laughs> and, and I'm telling you, it's a beautiful countryside. But what professional is going to convince his wife to move to that little town in the middle of Kentucky and spend a million dollars out of all the opportunities in the Midwest? Why not? The price has to be good enough to get that person there. And you have to make sure that you carve out any negatives so we have a very realistic approach. And I got a young man from the other side of Kentucky and his wife and him met with the doctor and his wife a month later, they loved each other. Great relationship. Boom, done. But it's, do I discount practices? No, I don't. Usually I get maximum value, but the whole point of the story is Dave, you have to be able to say no when it's off balance. Most people don't do that. That's where we fail. Are you saying that the competition of brokers out there will just take any owner? Is that what you're you know, saying? I know most of the competition and they're great people. They're very good at what they do. My style is just very different. I believe that the more I can inform them of correct principles, realistic expectations, the right price range, what the market will support, 
then they can make an informed decision and the better success we'll have. And I'll tell you, the first two meetings, that's my job. If we're on the same page, it is a fantastic partnership, but we've got to be on that page. So if you're not on the same page, we were kind of talking about a realistic practice owner versus, I don't know any other word to say it other than a marginally delusional practice owner. So sure. So if an owner comes to you, like the other, the dentist that said, you know, my CPA says 1.5 million and, uh, and, but you're saying 1 million, Chris, sometimes we're speaking with owners or know of colleagues that have gone through uh, different transactions and, and situations like this, where they are kind of, they pin themselves to a number that is either something that they are basing off of annual revenue, or it's something that they're basing off of a number that they think would be comfortable for their retirement or their semi-retirement or the, the amount of money that they would need to do whatever they want to do in the next chapter of their lives. So it's traveling more to see their, their children, their grandchildren. Maybe it's to relocate, move to another state or something like that. But that number is sometimes based off of reality and financials and net earnings and cash flow like, like we're talking about. And sometimes owners are not there. So how do you how do you help them other than just saying like, you know, I mean you you've described it a little bit where you you say, you know, no, it's it's more based on this, but but are there some owners where they're obviously just not going to be the right fit for you? Are there are there some case studies, are there, you know, anonymous stories that you have where you have been able to over a course of conversations or calls with them, maybe you're able to show them, you know, redacted uh, statements or financial terms from other practices or, and other owners uh, based on what's going on in the market. Are there other ideas and, and things around helping an owner go from somewhat delusion? I, I want to be nice here, but you know, like, can you get an owner that's yes. delusional and, and bring yes, them to, you know, a rational side? I can. And, you know, I do the flip side. You know, I sell practices. You know, I've sold a $7 million practice for 12. I've sold a $4 million practice for six. So it goes both ways. If the cash flow is there to support it, you know, the banks tell me I get the strongest values in the Midwest. I'm just very balanced on how I sit down with a dentist. If it doesn't support it, I'll tell them. If it does, I'll say, Doc, I think you're even cutting yourself short. We can ask for a stronger value, and here's why. But one of the first questions I sit down and ask the seller in that meeting, and this is key, doctor, and I run this scenario by him in some sort of fashion. Let's say you're driving to work. God forbid you hit a deer. You know, this is what the small towns in the Midwest look like. God forbid you hit a deer little bit of whiplash, back pain. You say, I just can't, I can't practice anymore. Are you financially in a position that you could retire today? Is your financial house in order that if you had to stop today, could you do it? That question should tell you everything you need to know how we're going to move forward with this doctor. I'll have most of them say, Chris, yes, I am. If I had to retire today, I could. But the dentist who cannot, no, I cannot. Well, doctor, you called me in because you want me to sell your business. That doesn't make sense. You can't afford to retire, but yet you want to sell. And what that does is you start asking questions and peeling the layers down. They're going to ask for unrealistic pricing. They're probably going to want to stay for two or three years. Max compensation will not let another doctor in because they do not want to reduce their income. They become the most difficult player out there. And that's when the expectations are unrealistic, Dave, is when they're in a financial position where the practice, even the practice sale, can't put them in a position to relax and support the success of the buyer. So I always ask that question. And if I get a no, I cannot retire at this time, I'll take, I'll just stop for a second and say, well, doctor, we need to discuss a different strategy. What we need to do is get your practice to enough, the next level. 
so that we show growth, so that we add value, so that we put you in a position to strengthen your your income and strengthen the sale. But you represent a buyer that's going to be a competitor, a seller that's going to be a competitor to any buyer that we bring in. And your expectations are unrealistic. So there's a lot of deep psychological questions you have to ask in that meeting. So if an owner in that case hits the uh, the hypothetical deer, so you're saying yeah. the owner that says, yeah, if I had to, I could stop practicing right now. In a way, you're kind of hinting at that they've already built wealth while practicing as opposed to getting wealthy on the transaction. Exactly. Exactly. It, it is... It is a game changer. You ask that guy, he goes, yes, Chris, I can retire today. I could have retired five years ago. Well, doctor, I know you've thought about it. What do you think is a fair value for your office? I'm just curious. 99 out of 100 will give you a realistic number. I have some that go, listen, if you find me the right kid, I'll give them a deal they'll never find anywhere else. If you find me the right fit, Chris, I'll make sure they hit a home run. The narrative is so different than the one who says, no, I want uh, a gazillion dollars and I want to work for three years at a guaranteed income and they're not good partners and good players. Brokers, when they sit down, should know how to ask the right questions. There either is the right time to sell or help your client put the ingredients into place to create the right time to sell. But if a broker sat down with that doctor who says, no, I can't retire and I want to work, he is going to put together a relationship that will fail because someone will lose. And you have to know when you reach that point in a relationship to say, doc, we're on the wrong path. Let's start over and let's create scaffolding for a different transition. Got it. And just to follow up on the last question. So if an owner is trying to get potentially wealthy on the sale of that, of the transaction of of exiting, as opposed to have also taken some amount of cash out over the years, meaning building some wealth Mm -hmm. while working as, you know, distributions, dividends, whatever, whatever, you know, taking, uh, net profits as the partnership, whatever it might be, would that also kind of signify that the practice is too lean, maybe doesn't have enough net earnings and or might not be operated properly? It could. You know, you think you've seen it all, Dave. And every time I sit down with a dentist, I see something new. So I've learned that each practice is unique. Each seller is unique. Each circumstance is unique. I keep an open mind. I think I know what I've got. But when I sit down, I hear a lot of I hear a lot of different stories that teach me you can't create a cookie cutter system with every business. They're all unique. But it's important to understand the needs of the seller when you sit down. If you understand those needs, then you say, does the practice support what they're trying to achieve? And will the practice support what the buyer is trying to achieve? So the practice is the vehicle. But what is the seller looking to do? And can the vehicle get the seller and the buyer there? But it all starts with that seller. So I do keep a very open mind. Typically, if I have a doctor who has a very good story, you know, when I sit down with a dentist or a vet or a chiropractor or physical therapist, I always ask, why are we here today? Why are we selling? Been a pleasure meeting you and your family. Sometimes I meet them at their home, meet the kids. We'll sit out by the pool and I'll look at the doc. Why are we here today? Why are we talking? Well, I thought I would uh, discuss selling my practice. Okay, tell me why. Well, you know, I think it's time. Certainly, tell me why. What's motivating you? you? You have to get to the why. And then when you learn that the dentist is having staff issues, he hates managing. He just, the thought of putting out another HR fire and angry staff and replacing, if he could just go in and do dentistry or just be a physical therapist or just be a chiropractor or vet, and they didn't have to manage, hire, fire, and do admin, his life would be 
walking on water. I go, well, now I understand the why. I think we could pair you up with someone who could take over the management and the admin and the HR issues. And you have enough cash flow to support what you want to do and what the buyer needs as well. I Doc, I think we can do this. But you have to peel the layers down to the why, all the way down. And then you go, now I know why I'm here. And this makes sense. Doctor, I think we can do this. And when you dig into those why reasons, do you see sometimes it's clinical and like office challenges or burdens? Like we're speaking with an owner right now. And, and that owner said, I have a couple of non-negotiables. I don't want to work 35 to 40 hours a week. And I was like, okay, fine. And then the second one was that the owner didn't want to deal with hiring, firing, you know, or admin stuff. And we said, okay, fine. So that, like those are non-negotiables. Do you find owners that have maybe 50% of the time it's the in the office type stuff and then 50% of the time it's, you know, it's uh, family and spouse or, or other, you know, other goals or maybe it's across the board. But what are some things that you've seen from owners where they might mention like, oh, I don't healthcare reimbursement or, you know, the day to day or this or that. But then you kind of dig further and then it's like then you hear later like there's, you know, uh, you know, spouse issue, maybe, you know, going through a divorce, going through a change, something with the family family members are moving back into the home. I mean, there's like all these other dynamics that you don't, you got to peel the layers of the onion and maybe all those things are going on, right? So the owner might have clinical staff issues and then stressors at home. And, and both of those worlds are kind of overflowing to the other. I think it's 75% admin and, and management. I really do. I hear that more often than not. They're just exhausted. You know, if they could just go in and do the dentistry they love to do or the physical therapy they love to do on the patients that they like to see, and they didn't have to worry about all the management, all the admin. So they're, they go from a 60-hour week down to a 30-hour week. Life is good. And when you can create, Dave, that environment for them, I have had physicians say, Chris, yeah, I'll work for the guy six to 12 months and then I'm gone. I am gone. I stopped by the office five years later. Guess who's there? And the doc will say, Chris, if I would have known it was going to be this good, I would have done it years ago. Because all that stress has taken off their shoulder, all that burden. And now they get to do what they love to do. And so if, if you can get the right, first of all, we've talked today, Dave, about making sure we understand why the doctor is retiring. Does the practice have the ingredients to support it and fulfill what the buyer needs? But if you get the right match, that old fellow will be there for years. And he'll smile and give you a hug when you walk in and say, if I'd have known it was going to be this good, Chris, I would have done it years ago. That's when you know that the opportunity is there to make a win-win. And that, that kind of segues into, um, if you're listening now on the on iTunes or Spotify, go ahead and jump over to the YouTube because I wanted to just show a little bit of Chris's website and his team's website. And what you were just saying there in terms of having an owner and, and helping an owner get to where they want to go or in a life where they can have less of those admin stressors and they're able to just maybe go and just do their craft practice and then get out of there. Is that kind of what you guys mean with your headline here, selling practices and maximizing wealth? Like meaning maximizing maximizing their wealth in a way, but not just at the detriment of the practice or, or ha leaving some unstable situation. But at the same time, the practice is actually able to continue. So maybe that owner, I don't know how much of the owners that you are working with, where they're, if they're being paid 70, 80 or 100% cash at close, or sometimes as an earnout, and maybe they're making more as an earnout over time. So do you have owners in terms of maximizing wealth? Do you have owners where they are agreeing to any type of uh, a percentage of seller finance or some type of uh, sure. internet? Yeah. My, you know, so what we haven't talked about my niche, my specialty, what I really like to work with are uh, physicians, doctors, dentists, vets, chiropractors, physical therapists who have more than one location. And so I like working with those who have three, five, seven, 10, 20 facilities because what we can do with those truly does maximize their wealth. You have to be able to create the right structure. You have to be able to show systems in place. You have to be able to make sure the distribution of workload is not on one horse, it's on many. 
And I can go in and I can sit down. I've done it many times and say, where do you want to be? What's your goal? And help these people build a small empire, if you will, and hit that mark because I can teach them how to do it correctly. You want three offices? Here's the right way to do three offices. You're going to need this type of support system. These systems need to be uniform. Here's the revenue you're going to need if you want to sell those three offices. Here's the EBITDA that you're going to require. But maximizing wealth is, it's kind of like everybody starts somewhere, but where do you want to go? Some people say, I just want one location. But I have some, like you, Dave, who say, I want three, five, ten. Okay, well, the first one or two are the keys to that growth. You have to have outstanding operation. Yeah, a good platform company. A good platform, great transition team that you can use in each office. And I helped them build this network and this company by feeding them the right offices and making sure that their transition team is solid. A lot of times I have doctors, like I have one in Cincinnati right now. It's a $5 million operation. And he said, what is it worth? And I said, well, you're probably worth seven, eight million. Well, how do I get that? Well, let's talk about that. Let's talk about making sure that you get the right fit. Anybody can sell a practice, but what do you want to do? What does your team want to do? So let's maximize your wealth but make sure that it's the correct fit and relationship. So I love that swimming pool where you and I, Dave, and I know you know, will relate to what I'm talking about. When you're dealing with people, I have had a doctor and a buyer, a buyer seller sit in the same room. And I've had the buyer in shorts and a flip-flops go, seller, what do you want? And the seller goes, well, here's what I want. And it's like three or $4 million. And the buyer pauses for a minute, Dave, and he goes, it's about 100 or 2,000, 200,000 more than, than what I'd like to give you. But because you're willing to stay, because you've got a great team, I won't argue over that because it's certainly worth it. They think at a higher level. Got it. Interesting. So I was just over here on your website. And there was something in the resources about uh, COVID caught my eye. How are your owners or your clients, how are they or how have they dealt with COVID? Has that been a big thing that took a lot of wind out of their sail? Have you seen a lot more owners looking to transition or exit because of COVID? Or have you seen it uh, not really affect the uh, the dental world or, or a lot of your clients too much? Oh, no, it's, uh, it was a game changer. Number one, when the doors opened in May of 2020, the numbers just went through the through the roof. They were they were producing. You had that pent up demand. You know, an impacted wisdom tooth stays impacted. If you're in pain, it doesn't matter. You're coming in. And when the doors opened in May, the numbers just shot through the roof. And businesses have been strong since May of 2020 and are still strong. What it did affect, Dave, is there there are dentists who said, I wanted to work another five years, but with all of this uncertainty, COVID, taxes, politics, I'm out. So it has, we have seen so many dentists jump off the fence because with the uncertainty, they recognized that they didn't want to continue down this path. They wanted to redeem and get out when they knew their value was strong. So the last two years have been the busiest two years we've ever had. And have you seen uh, valuations change at all because of COVID? Or are there more earnouts, or is it, or is it pretty much similar structure from the average deal? Is the average uh, is the average transaction similar to your 2018, 2019 transactions? The valuations are getting stronger in my opinion, for the larger offices. You know, if you have a two to $5 million office, the valuations are stronger than they've ever been. And there is an earnout component. And this is how very important that, you know, and I know you do this, Dave, when you sit down with a dentist and you say, or whatever, medical professional, 
here's the number that we're going to market with. Now, most likely you're going to get 70 to 80% of that number up front. And then there will be a component that allows you to earn the remaining 20 to 30% over the agreed amount of time between you and the buyer, whether that's three, four, or five years. Maybe it's paid out with interest over 36 months, or maybe it's paid one-third, one-third, one-third. But just be aware, in order to get that high multiple, there is a... 80-20 split, 75-25 earnout component, which I'm sure you see quite a bit. And do you see that the, yeah, we and we, we definitely are uh, using that for sure. Do you see that the, the 20 to 30% of seller finance kind of acting as like a buffer between what the owner believes it's worth and what the buyers are comfortable with and what they believe it's worth? Of course, of course. Do of you course. also... In terms of price or terms, are you in the school of thought that between the seller and the buyer? So do you think that on your side with the seller, that if they want price, then terms go to the other side? Do you kind of have a trade-off between price and terms? Like if, if the owner really wants a, a large number, well, then the buyers are going to say, okay, well, we need some percentage of that as an earnout, And that, that earnout could be longer than the owner ever thought of. It could be you know three, five, seven years in some cases, right? It certainly can. And again, that's why it's so important to have these discussions with the seller up front. Doc, what are you willing to do? Because what you're willing to do will give us either lots of options for buyers or very few options. You get to make the final decision. You're the captain. But if you say I'm willing to work five years, well, now I can bring in regional and national players to take a look at you. You get to hear their pitch. You get to build a relationship with them. And they're going to ask you to stay three to five years. And a portion of your purchase price will be spread out over those three or five. Are you, do you have any reservations on doing that? Because if you don't, you'll probably earn more with them. Not probably, you will earn more with them over that three or five years than you would on your own. That's why you do it. You know, why would anyone do that? Because the upside is twice as good with your group, Dave, as it would be on their own. And you take the risk of all the management and admin. Right. Economies of scale right now, I will tell you, the larger groups are able to supply costs, um, just insurance, just, just the benefits alone of partnering with someone who has better economies of scale improves your overhead by literally 10 to 20% at the closing table. And so when you say, doctor, we need to hit certain EBITDA marks to get your payout. Well, just by signing with you, they've improved their profitability by 20% on day one because your economies of scale are there. So there's a lot of benefits to partnering with someone who's very strong It gives them security, extra money, and it reduces the risk long-term. We have no idea what next year will look like, but if they partner with you, they're more likely to succeed. Mm, Very interesting. In terms of the difference between seller finance and a percentage, do you help uh, these practice owners in terms of, again, if they're slightly on the delusional side and that the seller finance that could kind of bring them back to a little bit of reality where they might not be getting that full purchase price down at the close, but it could be the total purchase price, the, the total transaction. Is that something that you know you have to advocate for, you know, to try to make the numbers work sometimes? Is that something that you feel like you guys would only do? Because you guys clearly can say you you say no very well. So are there some cases where you'll only do that if it really makes sense for both sides? How do you guys navigate that? I say be fully transparent. It's the best way. Listen, no surprises. We're going to lay it out on the table. All the warts on the frog, Dave. I want to see it. I want to see. Let's lay it up. First of all, again, you and I talked about this earlier. There's no perfect practice. I'm sorry, Doc. I know you're the the best I've ever seen, but there's no perfect business. Just don't exist. And there's no perfect buyer. They just don't exist. So let's get perfection off the table. Let's be transparent on what your needs are and then what the buyer needs are. And let's see what numbers we need to make that work right up front. 
lay it all out on the table and there's going to be compromise. So maybe, you know, I have a seller who said, okay, uh, Chris, the buyer's coming in at uh, 10% lower than what I wanted on the business. Can we allocate the majority of the purchase price to goodwill? Call the buyer, his CPA and his attorney. And they said, well, we don't have a problem with that. So we took that 10% swing that the seller thought he was discounting the practice with, and we're making it up in the way it's allocated for tax purposes. There's so many ways to win. If you've done this hundreds of times, you can go, okay, I know how to make up that 10% in other areas. Maybe it's increasing his, his income percentage. Maybe it's, there's so many perks. Maybe it's paying for things on the back end that were too expensive for him to pull in his own operation. So there's all sorts of ways to come to that number. We just have to see how the buyer and seller can make it work. Love it. I think that's a good place to leave it for right now. Chris, thank you so much for coming on. Guys, definitely go check him out at transition1.net, transitionone.net online. What's a good place for the audience, Chris, to reach out to you? Either your email address, maybe LinkedIn, maybe just the website. All of them. Website has the phone number, email address, chris at transition1.net. LinkedIn is a great source as well. I answer my cell phone if you call every time. I'll do it. I might be on the Peloton bike. I might be, uh, you know, at a pizza parlor with Dave in Manhattan or Brooklyn. But if you call my cell, I'll answer. So I look forward to speaking with you. And, and you guys cover the Midwest and the Southwest, you said. So if there's an owner in a different state, like let's say, I don't know, Florida or here in New York, uh, should they still reach out to you? Or do you guys kind of really stay I've, regional there? I've done, I've done transitions all over the country. You name a state, I've been there. I have a deep network in the Midwest and Southwest, but I've done transitions in Georgia, Florida, Carolinas. Cash flow is cash flow. Practices all have a common denominator. and We can certainly discuss that and put you on the right path, regardless of where you're located. Really quick, if you can answer, I totally forgot to ask this earlier, but on a previous interview that you were on, you mentioned a really great deal or a potential practice will never reach the market or be on market. Or I That's think you may, may be hinting at like one of those broker, public broker listing sites. Can you recap what you meant by that? What I meant is uh, good practices do not have to be marketed. Most half of what I, what I sell, Dave, I just make one or two phone calls. You don't have to create a very good business like a used car or a house online. That's not how a good business is sold. If you're good at what you do, you're just one or two phone calls away. The great practices never hit the internet, never. And that goes back to just your time in the industry, your relationships. You, you mentioned on that other interview that you would be able to call one or two or three yep. buyers, slightly bigger, maybe regional buyers, but you know, okay, based off of this, you kind of understand the financials, you understand the practice. And then you're like, okay, I know one or two or three groups that would, this is their ideal practice for them to acquire. Exactly. I've done the vetting for you. That's what 22 years and doing hundreds of deals do is you have a pool of buyers that are the cream of the crop. And when we have the right metrics and the right relationship fit, then I make a few phone calls and we're usually done. Got it. Wow. Okay. So uh, we did like a close. Then I had that one other question. So guys, check them out. Chris at transition1.net. If you want to shoot them an email, www.transition1.net on the internet. You can check them out on LinkedIn, elsewhere on the internet. Chris, thank you so much for coming on. I have other questions. I had other things here in our agenda. So I know you're a pretty Let's busy do guy. It again. We'll do it again in the next couple months. We'll get you back. And um, I have other ideas in terms of even, you know, sharing like a spreadsheet and, and we just go through like, you know, one or two uh, redacted practices. Yes. Like, hey, what, what about a practice like this? Yes. You know, this revenue, this, you know, this oh, number of staff. To. Now you know, you're talking my language. Absolutely. I, I just I just did a screen share uh, episode myself uh, recently, and it was just it was like two physical therapy practices, practice A and practice B, both doing a million dollars a year in revenue, approximately both, you know, same amount of staff, same location, same reimbursement, all those things kind of like consistent variables. And then 
one doing like 250 grand in profit and one doing like 15 grand in profit and showing wow. the di- showing the differences of where you could expect a window of offers for those two yes. and, and how the offers are very different. And one's going to be more cash at close than one might be a significant seller note, a seller finance. Now I'm a nerd for that. Let's do that. I would love I, to I go would, over that paperwork with you. I would love to do that. So uh, thank you so much for your time. We'll get you back soon. And uh, that's it here for the Dave Kittle show. If you find this valuable and helpful, go ahead and uh, rate review and subscribe. Uh, jump over to the YouTube, hit the subscribe bell so you can get the new episodes as they are published. Check us out on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube if you haven't already. And that's it for the Dave Kittle Show here. Chris, thank you so much for your time. Been a pleasure. Thank you, Dave. Good to be with you. Hey, it's Dave Kittle. Are you a healthcare business owner or physical therapy practice owner who is looking to figure out your succession plan or exit strategy? We might be able to help. And in fact, we may be interested in acquiring your practice. If you're interested, you can reach out to me. Shoot me an email at dave at conciergepainrelief.com. That's D-A-V-E at C-O-N-C-I-E-R-G-E, painrelief.com. Or you can call me at any time, 646-781-8884.